Hello and welcome to Here There Be Dragons, a Black Sails podcast. I'm Lewis. <laughs> I'm Chelsea. Um, I'm sick today. I apologize for the way that I sound. And all the sipping sounds, the sipping slurping sounds. Ready for this? No. Jesus. <sighs> um, so we said we'd never do this, but surprise. We're going to do it. We're going to start off with a quick recap of the episode, (laughs) Um, just because we feel like it'll help both us and you guys to jog your memories. Maybe you've watched a couple episodes by now past this. Um, So just to remind you of what this episode was about. So we open at Miranda's house where Flint, dressed all in white, gets his bandages changed. He tells Miranda their success about finding the page and then drops off a wounded Richard Guthrie. In Nassau, Silver writes out half of the schedule, saving the rest for later when he and Flint might be friends. Billy tells Gates that he still feels suspicious before dropping Silver off with a gossipy Randall. Scott is stressed out and Eleanor convinces him to stick with her because she's got a plan, aka bullying her dad to help because he has no other choice. Billy and Silver sniff out some mutineers while Gates recruits Captain Hornigold's ship and crew to help them take the Urca. After some perhaps, perhaps, perhaps from Jack, <laughs> Gates is convinced that they actually need Vane as their partner instead, which makes Flint lull. L-O-L. She just said L-O-L. <laughs> After a major pirate conference where only Vane behaves himself, we discover that Max has been taken prisoner by Vane. Sidebar, Miranda talks some theology and Guthrie finds an old painting. Later that night, Eleanor is getting it on with Vane when she hears Max being attacked. She runs outside of the tent and punishes Vane by giving his whole crew to Flint. Max does not accept her apology, however, and returns to Vane because of her involvement with the loss of their treasure. And then we end with Billy hearing about that island witch, Mrs. Barlow. Nice. Episode three. Nice. These episodes don't have titles, huh? Well, they have the little chapter numbers. Oh, yeah. But they don't have titles quite yet. That's hard. Yeah. It's hard to track. (laughs) But we're on episode three. Yes. Um, So. So we see Mrs. Barlow, Miranda, for more in-depth. Yeah, because last episode she was like the twist cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And this episode, um, well, first we open with that close-up on the eye opening. Uh Uh-huh. It was, I mean, it was so evocative of Lost. Yeah. But then also, like, he's dressed all in white. They're all, she's dressed in white, too, right? It's, like, all kind of glowing. She's in, like, kind of a cream color. Yeah. There's definitely sort of, like, a they're in a different dimension feeling to this. Yeah, it's very otherworldly. Like, is it a dream? Yeah. Is it, are they dead? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like that one crew member says about them. Yeah. That Flint is undead. And listens to a witch yeah. on the island. Which you hear later in the episode, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, by the time he says that and everybody's like, oh, that's goofy. You're yeah. like, is it goofy? Because <laughs> <laughs> he looks a little undead to he me. He looks a little dead. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, no, but they share, like, a really nice, like, sort of spiritual, or not spiritual, but, like, uh. They clearly have some kind of deep connection. Yeah. To each other. Well, and then that's made more clear when she's, like, when he tells her about. The, the progress, mm-hmm. and she's like, I know, or something like that. What does she say? She says, she's like, that's great news, but also, I thought I was going to have more time with you to myself. Yeah, yeah. 
there's just a sort of sadness about her and that clearly they're both on the same page <laughs> about this plan to capture the Urca, but there's something in her that either wants Flint more than the plan, potentially, or just some kind of loneliness about her Yeah, that is making her not as focused on this prize as Flint is. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah. I mean, it was sad to see, like, Flint come home yeah. and seem so broken and feel so, and, like, become a different person as he came into this house, but... On paper, the way that we see that she lives is also, like, very sad. Yeah. I mean, in her conversations with the pastor, we do get the sense that she is ostracized from this community. Yeah. He comes by once a week, creepy, and also has someone spy on her. Yeah. Extra creepy. So she says the neighbor is spying on her? They make, like, a joke together where Flint's like, what happened to old blah 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 who used to check up on you? And she's like, oh, she died. Now there's another spy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool because in that and even, and especially in the scene with the pastor, you yeah. can see, like, she's lonely, but she's having fun. And she's sort of, like, serving a purpose here. Like, she she feels like she's got some, some purpose. Hmm. I mean, I think that the, I get that also from her conversation with Flint being privy to his business and, like, yeah. his overall goal of finding this treasure. And what we were talking about even in the last episode where, like, that treasure means something more than, clearly means something yeah. more than just, like, a lot of money. Right. Like, she's she's waiting here, you know, in a very lonely existence, but she's waiting for something. Yeah. Like, there is something on the horizon. Um, and I... I mean, I don't think she it's literally spelled out in that way, but there's something about the interaction with the pastor where she gets to she gets to kind of have fun with him because she doesn't actually feel like part of the community herself and doesn't feel like she needs that. Yeah, she's kind of a free agent. Yeah. Yeah, she does whatever she wants. So he comes to her to talk about his sermon for the week and he's talking about how love is suffering and you have to suffer to really love somebody. And she comes right back at him with this quote, also from the Bible, about a very sensual, tactile, um, lustful kind of love that seems a lot more romantic. Um, Romantic? It seems more romantic to me because it seems like you're really looking at your partner and and loving things about about them and their body. That feels more romantic to me. Well, I mean, okay, I guess it's more romantic, but I don't know if it's... She's sitting on one side with romance, and he's sitting on the other side with... Suffering? Yeah. (laughs) I guess not, but I I guess they're both imperfect forms of love. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to track who in the show is in a relationship built on suffering. Yeah. And who is in a relationship that's built on real love. Yeah. That suffering thing is, is... Is huge. Yeah. Everybody's sort of like bearing crosses. Yeah. And I guess it's just interesting to think about if when you're with someone, are you with it because you're, you're suffering and that makes you feel like it means more? Yeah. Or are you with them because you really truly love them and you would do anything for them because you love them? Suffering, the word suffering to me feels like there's some kind of proof in it. Mm. 
like watch me watch how much I love you or watch how much I'll do how much suffering I'll go through for uh-huh. you mm-hmm. it's not nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we don't really have the show I mean I guess the best example of love so far the show has had was Eleanor and Max that's and they like sort of the most explicit relationship we've had. Well, and clearly there's something going on with Eleanor and Vane. And there's something going on with Jack and Ian. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And potentially something going on with Flint and Miranda. We don't really know the full extent of their relationship yet. Yeah. But it's all... But I still come back to Eleanor and Max yeah. as being the only ones that are like... Um, that feel like they're trying to do love. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It hasn't been, it hasn't been a big thing yet. Yeah. I guess, I mean, but, but obviously Eleanor and Vane are something. They're like a will they, won't they thing. They're something. Yeah. All right. They're hot and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but also their relationship is also built on a weird, like the first thing we saw him do in the pilot was like punch her. I mean, <laughs> They are just a power struggle. They're a constant power struggle. Yeah. I was also thinking about how we we talked about how she's existing in this other world and sort of has this anonymous thing going on with him, it seems. But then, like, over the course of the episode, we find out actually a lot of people know about her. Yeah. And, like, like first of all, they bring Richard Guthrie in there. But also Gates shows up and is like, hey, ma'am. Yeah. And, uh, and Eleanor shows up, of course. Um, and then, of course, there are the rumors, but um, I think the show does a good job of making you feel like this is supposed to be separate. But, like, if you're watching, it's like, actually, a lot of people are here. <laughs> um, well, I think it's, like, not that far out of town. Yeah. And she does sort of seem to straddle these two worlds. Yeah. Of Nassau and whatever the interior is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but anyway, they have Guthrie there. And, um, which leads to, uh, first of all, a great scene for Eleanor. Yeah. Which is, I think I sort of thought was, uh, before the end of this episode is Eleanor's like first big moment to actually be right. Um, and to have a moment where she like kind of scores a few points in a power play. Um, and where you feel like, I mean, this is the first time she's been face to face with her father in the show. And even though he's you know, bedridden and clearly in a place of weakness, she comes in and kind of, like, tells him what's what in a way that feels like, hell yeah, Eleanor. Yeah. Um, we do see sort of another example of a very petulant man. Oh, yeah. Kind of behaving like a child. Yeah. Like and less, I wrote down he looks like a child. He does. He he's has, got he's, got, he's got this cute little <laughs> face, yeah. But at, last time we talked about Vane kind of looking like a baby. Yeah. Or not a baby, but like a kid. He doesn't a, look like a baby. Like, Just you know, the most... The most muscular baby you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but he's sitting on the beach and he's waiting and he's kind of looking like a child. And once again we see another man who's supposed to be in a position of power behaving like a child. Yeah. And, yeah, I love this, this switch in dynamic when Eleanor is at first trying to placate him and almost treating him like a child a little bit. Like, well, if you want to do this, we would really need your help. And he's just sitting there not saying anything. Yeah. And she, like, it's like a switch flips in her and she's like, 
let's cut the shit. Yeah. Like, you know what's up, and I know what's up. So, like, get it together, yeah. and we'll move forward. She does it in front of everybody, too. Yeah. It's yeah. great. But she totally takes on a power role in the relationship in that moment, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think for the audience, too. Like, yeah. for me watching... My heart grew three times for Eleanor in that moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially after the end of the last episode where, like, she had done this yeah. awful thing to Max. Yeah. She's taking the charge again. Um, but then Guthrie's residence in Miranda's house sort of leads to this moment with this book. Yeah. So at the end of the episode, um, she is reading to him from Marcus Aurelius. A book by Marcus Aurelius, um, which we looked up a little bit, and it's a book that he wrote kind of to himself. It's kind of like his diary about thoughts about being a good leader and what makes a good ruler and how you can um, use this philosophy called Stoicism, which is very logic-driven and um, tries to approach emotion and other people in a very logical way. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of his world philosophy is to just always approach everything with logic. Um, so that's just interesting to, to keep that worldview in mind and see like who is approaching decisions from a logical perspective and who's approaching them maybe from an emotional or relationship affecting perspective, like who's going to affect perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see that Flint has a very intense reaction to her reading that book. Yeah. And that's all we see. And that's all we see. We don't really know why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's Miranda, the mysterious witch and... The mysterious witch in the island. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about Silver. Okay. Um, Silver's still doing his thing. Uh-huh. But in this episode, he, he finally has, like, that meeting with Flint and, and the pirates, and he gets to have an actual face-to-face conversation where they're actually making one of those famous pirate deals. Yeah. Um, An accord. An accord. <laughs> God, Chelsea and I just recently watched Pirates of the Caribbean 5. It's really not good. It's really not good. And also, I had said that thing about the deal-making stuff about the pirates, <laughs> yeah. and I was kind of doing it from memory of having uh-huh. seen the last one like a few years ago. But this... Had this just constantly... So we've reached an accord. It's Just awful. lots of... Just lots of that. Anyway, um, so anyway, they reach an accord in this meeting, um, which is great because Silver feels like, again, I don't think we've seen Silver afraid yet, but he does seem like. I think he was afraid in that first episode at the end when, or or towards the end. Oh, sure. Yeah. But that's kind of been the only moment. Yeah. When he thinks that Flint has found him out. Yeah. But he's, he's, um. You, you feel he's, like, cornered again, even though yeah. we've seen him cornered a few times in this episode where they say, uh, we're going to torture, or why haven't you told us the rest of it? And he's like, why would I do that? Yeah. And, like, we're going to torture you, and why would you do that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he's not, like, terrified of Flint, or he's not going to show Flint outright terror, but he's clearly uh, under pressure in this scenario. Yeah. Um, it's a fun scene, especially because you can clearly see that... The, you know in this moment, like, these pirates all just want to kill this guy. Yeah. They all would kill him except for <laughs> yeah. this one thing about the map. Uh-huh. Um, or the schedule, I'm sorry. Um, 
but then Silver says that great thing when, when they make the deal and, and Flynn says, how do you know I won't kill you at the end of all this? And Silver says, maybe we'll be friends by then. Or that's a few weeks from now. Maybe we'll be friends by then. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It is fun. And I do also get the sense that Silver is really intrigued by Flint. Yeah. And is, like, really excited to, like try to be friends with him yeah yeah because he's so good at. i mean we see him he's been so good at manipulating and even in this episode he gets randall to talk to him then he kind of gets tries to get in with billy by revealing who the mutineers are i mean he's so he's already had a partnership with max like he is very good at making these person-to-person connections but I I think that Flint is the one that he's challenged by. Yeah. And sees as like, if I get him to like me, like that would be a victory. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's fun in this episode, actually, Silver's whole MO has to turn from cunning to being liked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and with a bunch of people who like should hate him. Yeah. He has to get Randall Billy and Flint. Suddenly his new mission is to get those people to like him. Yeah. Um, which is such a fun, uh, it's such a fun inversion of like, of the deals, yeah. you know, it's like, instead of like, he's got a pawn and they've got a pawn and they're going to come to some deal because they're double dealing. It's actually, you know, you're stuck on this ship or you're going to be stuck on this ship with this crew mm-hmm. and Silver knows the only thing that will keep him alive is a genuine friendship. Yeah. Um, uh, whether it's between him and F- Flint or him stoking some stoking some resentment right. among the crew and becoming a part of their little thing. I don't think he's stoking the mutiny. I think he's identified Billy as another power player, though. But I don't know if he thinks that Billy's going to remain loyal to Flint. No, not necessarily. But I don't think... I mean, he's not trying to be friends with the mutineers. I guess not. He's trying to be friends with Billy. He's trying to be friends with Billy. Yeah. But whether that's... As far as he knows... I think he thinks Billy is loyal. At least loyal to Gates. Yeah, I mean, he has plenty to see in that scene. Although I'm not sure if we saw Silver notice it, but Billy in that scene is so treated like the child. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's a... Um, I think it's a moment right after the conversation where um, after that deal sort of is made with Silver, Flint turns to Gates and says is Billy going to be okay? Yeah. Like, is he okay with this whole making a deal with this guy thing? Um, and it seems for a moment, like, you know, Flint made the deal with silver as adults, but he's still kind of sort of think of Billy with kid gloves in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got to make sure that Billy's, uh, naivete doesn't get us in trouble or doesn't get him in trouble. Yeah. And we still see kind of democracy, Billy, Shining through. Yeah. Utopian Billy. Yeah. But we also get to see Gates um, kind of coming into his own as a character a little bit more. I think oh, yeah. Episode. Oh, I love Gates. We see him, you know, being the quartermaster and trying to make this deal with Horny Gold and then trying to take on the responsibility of captaining another crew. And we see Jack just picking away at that soft spot that he's older 
he's not as strong. He is got like a bad knee or something. Yeah. And well, and he's also just like he's not Flint. Yeah. He's not job. he's not a fearsome pirate captain. Yeah. You know, another thing about this show that Gates really that Gates in this episode also makes me love the show more is that I mean, it's just like I was saying before, there's there is the position that he has as quartermaster and the responsibilities that he has with that. But to some degree, his role is also to be a leader for these people and to take care of Billy and Flint. Yeah. Um, Like we see him take care of Flint in that negotiation. Uh, We see him have to take care of Billy basically constantly since the beginning of the show. Um, And it just goes to show like, or it's just an example of how these pirate crews are, they're like little businesses, not in the sense that they all like are employed and stuff. It's just that they're also all people who have to spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah, and there was a social like the head of HR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's the head of HR. And like, you know, to some degree in, in these organizations of people, the social stuff is very important. Yeah. And Jack didn't just poke holes in his own weakness as a, like as a leader, he poked holes in his like weakness just as a, I mean, actually, I guess, yeah, as a leader. Uh Um, And it's just, uh, and obviously, like, that's true. It's not a revolutionary concept. I just love that the show um, is doing that with the the crews. The crews are all these just organizations of men uh, held together by some degree of rules. And and the other one isn't even, like, in some crews, it's fear and and intimidation and, and being the most fearsome pirate in the seas. But in other ones, it's just being liked and being like a, a a charismatic leader who like can keep everybody together. It's better to be liked or feared. No. Yeah. Yeah. It does make me really look at, um, I want to know like how and why and when Flint chose Gates to be his quartermaster. I know. It's such a smart choice yeah. because they balance each other out so well, and I think that there is true loyalty there. Yeah. Versus right now, our other comparison pair are um, Vane and Jack, and Jack seems to be a good quartermaster because he can talk to people. Yeah. And he can kind of convince them, kind of like Silver, he can convince them to do what he wants them to do. Um, but like Gates, he's also not really like a fearsome pirate. No. He's like he wants to be. He wants unlike to be. Gates. He wants unlike to be. Gates, he wants to, be, but but he's not a vein and he's not a flint either. And there is this sense of some kind of butting heads or competition or between Vane and Jack. And I think it might just be Jack's ambition far outgrows being a quartermaster, and they just have very different worldviews. So there, there might be some loyalty there, but it's not, it's not the same as the bond between Flint and Gates right now. No, yeah. Um, it's also interesting to see them in the big meeting. It's really fun, and it's, um, it's fun to see Gates negotiating. Because we haven't really seen that side of him yet. We do a little bit with Horny Gold, but to see him be able to be the quartermaster mm-hmm. in this role is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And Jack, too. And Jack is... Although Jack's been doing that the whole time. Yeah, yeah. We've seen Jack, Willen, and Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. 
But what's fun is to see Flint and Vane uh-huh. be really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of sit yeah. in the corners and sulk. And like obviously they have like murders and and stuff that's actually coming between them that is far more emotional than just the deal. But like Gates and Rackham are the only ones like clear eyed enough in the room to be like, we have to get something done in this meeting. Clear eyes while hearts can't lose. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> not not, our next not now. <laughs> um, well, it's also fun again to see um, Vane trying to win back Eleanor. Oh, yeah. Because. He doesn't have to try that hard. Well, the way he wins her back is by showing her respect and by furthering her business deal. Yeah. And that's what's attractive to her. Yeah. And also being cute and funny. Yeah, also he's, like, really hot. (laughs) Well, no, he sits in the corner of that meeting with his cigar. And his coin. Yeah. He's sort of cool. He's, he's like, too good for it, but not too good for it, because he's there and listening. Yeah. (laughs) She's, like, kind of tamed the bad boy a little bit. I get it, Eleanor. He does that little hand squeeze. That lingering finger. (laughs) When Chelsea first watched this show, I heard her squeal when he did that. I remember that moment. I can't help myself. (laughs) You love Zach McGowan. I do. Um, But it's also interesting to to look at their relationship as, um, through this lens of uh, suffering for love. And we see Vane sort of changing who he is. In yeah. a way, in this conference, I mean, he very consciously is behaving himself. Yeah, and that's not who Vane is. It's kind of strange that Jack was able to bring about so much change in him through this, right? Well, was Jack able to, or was Eleanor able to? Well, it was Jack that created that created this change, right? To go to what wasn't it that went to Jack and or to Vane and said, "I have a plan, and don't you need to fix things with Eleanor." Yes, he sort of planted the seed of you can you can fix it with Eleanor. You have the power to fix it with Eleanor and I can help you do that. Jack also planted the seed in Gates to think that Gates needs another captain. So Jack has sort of like masterminded the deal, but I think it's Eleanor who's really changing his behavior. So after the meeting, we find we fast forward a little bit and Eleanor goes to Vane's tent to have sex with him. And I think it's important that she um, initiates this sex. Yeah. I mean, the sex we've seen before on the show has been a little gratuitous so far. This one felt like the, f- or maybe the second character motivated yeah. sex scene. Yeah. I mean, I understood exactly like. These are two forces that are crashing together. Yeah. And she wants it. Yeah. Because he made her feel powerful. So now she's going to go to him to feel even more powerful. Yeah. By being on top, by initiating it, by being kind of aggressive and really physical with each other. I mean, they are equals in this scene. Yeah. For sure. And then Jack interrupts it. <laughs> Poor Jack. <laughs> His delivery of the, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. It's real good. It is really good. Uh, 
well, and the reason he says, oh, shit, is because we hear Max outside being attacked by the crew. So to rewind a little bit, so Max obviously, like, messed up this deal with Vane, so he's really mad at her, and they find her in the, or he, they capture her and take her in, in this little kind of hut thing. And it just is so striking to me how tiny she is mm-hmm. and how big Vane is. Mm-hmm. And yet, even though she's so vulnerable in that moment, when she says, you know what it's like to be um, left by Eleanor, that clearly affects him so deeply mm-hmm. that he says we need to get her out and mm-hmm. let her go. Mm-hmm. It's just it's physically they could not be more different, but they're connecting on such a deep emotional level. Yeah. And clearly Vane was like ripe for it too. Oh yeah. He's having an emotional episode. Yeah, he is. Ugh, emotional Vane. <sighs> so so Max is being attacked by these men. Everyone's surrounding her and she's being raped and it's awful and it's very upsetting to watch. Um, and we see Eleanor come in and lose her shit as she should and start whacking these guys. But what's so interesting about her response is that she goes right from, not, she she doesn't go from, but she incorporates her emotional response still with her Nassau business minded brain. Yeah. Well, this is the second moment in the episode and I guess in the show where we see her really wield the power that she has. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody stands to and listens. Yeah. Yeah, when she says you're not going to eat here. Yeah. I mean, that's enough of a convincer. Talk about loyalty. And no protests. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's like one guy who's like, what are you doing? And then his friend goes and he goes right after. And, importantly, also tries to leave. Yeah. Yeah, and in that scene gets a lot of... There are a lot of shots of just, like, the camera sort of in Anne's face, Uh watching her watch all this happen. Yeah. She clearly is uncomfortable with it. Um, Well, we've seen Anne be a physical threat. Yeah. But she clearly doesn't have enough power to actually go against these men. No, she occupies such a an interesting space in the show as a character politically. Yeah. Politically within her own crew. Yeah. What is her relationship to Jack? Yeah. What does that mean? Her relationship is to Vane. Yep. But we see in this episode, she tries to exercise some degree of autonomy. Yeah. Or at at the very least, just go with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And kind of get out of this situation. And Vane says, if you leave, I'll kill you. Yeah. And we do get the sense that Anne versus Vane in a fight would. She seems scared in them in the, yeah, for like a she second. She does seem scared. Yeah, I would bet on Anne in a lot of fights, but something about Vane is scary in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Eleanor sends the crew over to Flint, just like further enforcing her overall plan. I mean, it's just so interesting that in in her most emotionally heightened state, she is still able to think logically enough to have a win 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Um, Eleanor responds with her business brain. Yeah. And then she goes back over to Max and expects her to come right back to her. And I think this also ties back into the suffering idea. Like, Eleanor is just like, look what I just did. I just put my reputation on the line. I, like, overstepped my power. There's going to be ramifications from this. Like, look what I just did. You should love me again. And Max is like, no, this is all your fault. You did this to me, so I'm going to hurt you right back. Yeah. And she goes back with Vane. It's so, it's, it's another inversion of the scene from the last episode, because in that scene, she betrays Max to go with Vane? No, she goes, she doesn't go with Flint. Yeah. It's an inversion in that she, um, she says, stay with me. And Eleanor says, no, I have other things that I'm obligated to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And in this scene, Max is saying, no, I'm not going with you. I also have an obligation. Yeah. My obligation is to be punished by these men for something that you could have avoided. (sighs) It's brutal. A lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. (laughs) A whole lot of suffering going on. But that's it. I think that might be it. Um, I have a few... Odds and ends that I want to make sure we talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, First being Jack Sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Jack Sunglasses. Shout out to Jack Sunglasses. Really shout out to the costume department. Ugh. Even in this first pilot season that's, I'm assuming, the lowest budget that the show's going to have, they knock it out of the park. I mean, these people look amazing. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of another thing that I noted while we were watching, which is uh, I noticed it the first time I watched the show, and it took me a while to recognize it while we are watching it this time, but they spend the whole time on an island, huh? Like, they're not <laughs> on pirate ships. Yeah. It's, it is it is a little disappointing, I think, if you're in for, like, a pirate action drama, especially the one as advertised, that they, like, were on a pirate ship for two minutes in the first episode, and now... They've been just like bumming around this island, yeah, for two for ep- for a bunch of episodes now. Yeah, um, but I mean, obviously, I love the show now, and yeah. I'm like gonna defend everything that they do. But obviously, it's an intentional choice, and it's a really cool choice that leads to all this. I mean, you see the politics and the business of how the pirate civilization is held together and like you don't often think about like the different pirate crews and pirate captains just like hanging around the frat house you know like that's (laughs) that's such an interesting well i think it's i think that there are shows and movies before that have looked at like a ship or like the culture on a ship yeah a crew yeah but black sails is so unique in that it it does look at First, the tiny communities of the crew. Yeah. And then the communities of the crews coming together. Yeah. And then the communities of the island of NASA, which also has the interior people. And then, the, I mean, it just keeps expanding these communities and these cultural contexts that these pirates are operating in. Like, the the telescope keeps zooming out, yeah. it feels like. And it also, that means that 
their adversaries keep yeah. expanding too because yeah. there's like I mean I think actually that's one of the classic pirate things also is that there's betrayals and there's sort of you can't trust anybody but on one end there is this war between themselves and mm-hmm. the British Empire I guess yeah um but there's also like a lot of the enemy and my enemy stuff going on uh-huh. with the other uh-huh. pirate crews and competitors in business and in Internal welfare enemies oh yeah personal demons yeah no dragons in this episode but a lot of demons <laughs> okay. and undead and witches <laughs> i mentioned jack sunglasses I mean, and you start talking about the telescoping of yeah. <laughs> society <laughs> um Sorry. uh oh um we didn't say specifically but uh guthrie found this painting with the with these names on it oh yeah, uh, yeah. mr and mrs thomas hamilton yeah and the missus looked like Miranda. Miranda. So that's interesting. Clue number one. <laughs> um, In Miranda's house with the painting. Nice. Mr. Guthrie. Um, are there any other... Oh, we didn't talk about Benjamin Hornigold at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Benjamin Hornigold... Is uh, a real pirate. He's a real pirate. Um, and he. they also kind of introduced us to the fort through oh, Benjamin yeah. Hornigold, which is really important. Yeah, the, the fort's f- going to be a big deal. The fort is clearly a strategically important position in Nassau. Yeah. And Benjamin sitting up there like that is clearly some sort of, like, mm, quasi-monarch. It, yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's sort of another sign of, like, oh, Eleanor doesn't run everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they also, like, work together, I guess? or They both have chairs. Yeah. <laughs> they both have chairs. Yeah, chairs are very chairs important. Chairs are super important. <laughs> Um, Eleanor has a nice chair and Hornigold has a nice chair. But Ben, but Hornigold does have that line where he says that's super like, uh, I don't know, deep. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, not deep. What does he say? He says all the pirates think they're, oh, what is the line? Oh, he just, he's, he talks about how like we all think we're great, but we're all just thieves waiting for the news. Yeah. It just sort of frames his worldview. So, so Hornigold mentions the Jacobites and that he used to be a part of this revolution. So if you want to know more about the Jacobites, watch Outlander, but, or read Outlander. Um, or take a history class. Or take a history class. <laughs> you choose. But basically the important thing I think to know about him is that he used to be a military man and it seems like a lot of his crew used to too, but were fighting on the wrong side of this rebellion and kind of had to turn to piracy to survive. So he's coming from a different perspective than I think a lot of the other pirates Mm -hmm. and other crews. And that, you know, sitting in this military powerful spot on top of the fort, it's kind of as, as good as as it's going to get for him is what he thinks. Do you think that there's any, sign from the way that Gates talks to him. I and mean, we only see with the way Gates talks to him uh-huh. that the pirates think of him as like an outsider or like that they think of him any differently than their own. He feels a little bit like an outsider and Gates specifically talks to him about your men. And that might just mean his crew, but you know, he's got this guy kind of patrolling and reporting to him. He just seems to be a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more orderly. Yeah. Than the other pirates. But he also seems like older. 
Oh yeah, he is definitely older. <laughs> like I he think... seems like an other generation, like a previous yeah. generation of pirate that yeah. like they did do things more buttoned up, and they all, you know, it's sort of like <laughs> the previous generation to us right now, yeah. where it's like. Well, it was easier for them to have crews of 40. It was cheaper back then. And, right. like, they were more organized. <laughs> and, like, the prey was a lot easier and less military, less militarized. Yeah. And, like, there were less Spaniards and British out here in the Caribbean, <laughs> so they had it easier. But, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he and Gates are sort of a little bit a part of this yeah. older generation. That is sort of trying to figure out their place as they're getting older. Well, and Richard Guthrie. And Guthrie. Yeah. 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 That is such an interesting read of the of the show is like I mean, obviously there's this thing about like the next generation of pirates um inheriting a world from the previous generation of pirates. Yeah. Uh I mean that's a, that's like that's such a theme of the show. Is yeah. like they're living in the shadow of these legends. Favorite. Uh yeah, and these pirates who built what they're what they're you know, reaping right now. Um, and, uh, and the pressure that they feel certain characters in particular to rise to that legend status. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the tension that's so, that's so, um, dramatically interesting about that is that there's some people or there's some people who feel the the need to fill, the status of the legend. And there are some people who like see that it's actually all just all crumbling around them. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's not about like being the best. It's like, actually this might not be here for the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at all. Yeah. So, um, but that's like a tension of the show. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Also some exciting news. Um, we are now on Twitter. We, you can reach us at there be sales. And we're really excited to be part of the Black Sails community and fandom. And we've already had some really awesome conversations and feedback and questions from some of our listeners. So we wanted to give a shout out to a couple that we thought were really interesting and sort of shed a new light on our conversations. So um, Jordan mentioned that he really appreciated seeing in episode two, at the very beginning of the show, Max and Eleanor in sort of a quiet more domestic space because that made him feel like it was really a connected and settled relationship yeah um that was doing a lot of the work of the of their for their relationship that the first episode hadn't really done yeah so and i blew right past it when i said it was boring boring (laughs) (laughs) right so we did we thought that that really framed it in a nice way of no this is actually too two people in a relationship really taking time with each other and waking up in the morning together yeah. and talking about the things that they're worried about. Yeah. So, and especially given how that episode ends. Yeah. I mean, that's an important... Yeah. So thanks, Jordan. Um, we also heard from Trish through Twitter, um, who was really helpful. She clarified that um, even though Eleanor may appear to be acting in her late teens that she actually in the show is supposed to be about 25, which we then were talking about how interesting it is that she behaves younger in some ways. And we were thinking um, through this back and forth that it might be because she's had to grow up around this community of violent, angry men without any kind of female role model to look up to. I mean, her mother has passed away. There are no other women 
who are in power positions on the island, really, that she could look up to. So we thought that was interesting to watch her development through that lens of lacking that model. Yeah. Um, So thank you, Trish. Yeah. So if you have any thoughts or questions or comments about episode three or any other episodes that we've done, again, you can reach us on Twitter at There Be Sales. You can tweet at us. You can message us, follow us. And also, if you have a second to rate and review us on iTunes, that helps other people find us. And um, and we'd love to have some more people join our community. So thanks. And we'll see you next week. Maybe we'll be friends by then. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.